New year, new hosts. Nah, you're stuck with us no matter what year it is. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two against the Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Oh, I don't know, Zach, do you feel any different? You feel like a new version of yourself? What day is it? Oh, that has never felt like a more pertinent question than it does today. Shouldn't the year just start on a Monday? <laughs> Why do you say that? Because I don't know if stuff's Based open. On... Are people working? <laughs> Why are we recording? Is today the new year? Is today the start of the work week? But everybody's off. I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not the person to ask, I'll tell you that. Everything this time of year feels weird, though. Yeah, you that that week between the, the last week of the year is just we talked about it last week. It's, there are no rules. It's anarchy. That's how I would describe this show some days. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where we're going to end up, but I can promise you some anarchy. At least based on our terms. Well, we're happy to be here. It is the Selbius Godcast. I'm TJ, that's Zach. My cat's around here. Who knows what's going to happen? We're recording this early. So anarchy is destined to arrive at some point, and that's the way that we like it. We thank you for clicking play on Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, and Spotify. Thank you if you found us recently or if you've been here since we started this show back in 2017. It's been a fun ride, and I'm looking forward to to where we end up next. Thank you to those of you that have been part of the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Godcast is where you can find all of the off-season episodes in addition to the the free ones we're doing here on, on all the normal places that you happen to find us. We do have a bit of news, though, that I don't want to overblow too much, but it is cool, and I'm hoping people are able to come find us at Guards Fest. We will be in attendance and recording, and if you happen to see us, don't hesitate to come say hi. If my cat can come down here and interrupt us, why can't you? Come up, say <laughs> hi. We've, we've got some, some extra microphones, and maybe you can pop on for a segment. That's if you see us. And when you see me going through the jerseys for sale and marveling at the randomness of them, former assistant coaches who haven't been here in seven years, and that spring training invite who never broke camp with the team, you can say hi, but I'd prefer if you'd wait until I was done with my craft. (laughs) Don't screw up the process. Don't do that. Zach's got a system to it. He's he's in a zone when he's going through that. Uh, whether it's the the jerseys or the bats, I actually like the bats a little bit more. Is there a good one you remember? I don't remember a good bat. Chris Johnson, I remember Ooh. finding one at some point. Probably some termites in there. When I mean, it's one thing to have a uniform. Everyone's going to have a uniform. They have to be prepared for that. In fact, I remember the, the clubhouse staff scrambling the morning of Melky Cabrera's arrival to make sure that he had a uniform. 
And then I was told, kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. He knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when. But when you actually have equipment and a bat that somebody is going to use and their name is on it and everything's ready to go, that then it's real. So to, to me, that's why I like the bats a little bit more. Anybody could print a uniform just to have it ready to go. But when you've got equipment, when you've got a bat, when you've got things that are going to actually help you on the field in addition to the thing that you're wearing, that's when, that's when I really dig it. And I really want that. That's the memorabilia I want. I feel like I saw Jake Bowers at some point, like recently, Whoa. 2022, maybe that was for sale in the team shop or something. Yeah, you can find it's, it's a treasure trove. I don't, we haven't had the fan fest in three years, so I don't know. Yeah. What changes there will be, how that'll look. Hopefully there will be random yeah. items. That's why we don't make any promises. Yeah. If you do see us. Just don't hesitate. Come say hi. And even if it's me having to take a picture of you with Zach because I'm just the random guy standing there, I will happily do that. Will there be Brian Reynolds merchandise? Well, if you're a Seattle Mariners fan at Mariners Fest, maybe. <laughs> so to go inside joke as much as you can. Toward the end of our Patreon show, I had a little bit of a, a rant against YouTubers that find any bit of reason to give you the hottest headline that you can find. Recently, it has been Yankee Podcast saying that this is the reason why Brian Reynolds is coming to New York. And like a day after I, I said that to you on the show, I was on YouTube and I found a new one. Mariners now favorites in all caps to land Reynolds? Question mark. I was not making that stuff up. And I sent it to you, and your response was nothing. You just ignored my text and just moved on with your life. So thanks for that. Sorry, I was trying to figure out what day of the week it was. Uh, is it like reading the tea leaves? Is it is it like Brian Reynolds wore a blue hat to something, and teams whose color schemes have blue in them think that that means something? Like what? I would never actually click the video to spend the time to learn why that's the headline. Did you? Uh, I did open it up for a minute. I did. And uh, John Paul Morosi had a tweet. No, no, he was on a show where he was talking about suitors for Reynolds and he came across, or they came across a bit of it where he was talking about the Mariners being a legitimate landing spot for Reynolds. And, and so that's, it was a whole video about that. It was a whole podcast about that. So Morosi, blame Morosi for this one. I usually do. I'm also going to blame you for not clicking the, the right input on your microphone. Yeah, I noticed. For that. being uh, on your internal. I was just going to was going to text you that on the side, but I thought we'd <laughs> thought we could fake no, it. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. If you're going to call me out for redoing intros of the show, then I am going to call you out for not clicking the right stuff on your your equipment in front of you. Starting the year on the right note. Now, How about we do that on the show? Zach actually learns the right input. Can we do that? I was going to just continue talking into the microphone as if it was making a difference. <laughs> and there we are. We fixed it. Live on air. Is it so difficult for you to click one button? Well, usually I don't have to because it's automatically set to that, but I, 
forgot that I took all these things apart last week. Because remember, you're supposed to turn off your computer before Y2K. <laughs> That's all blame it on the bug in the system. Well, let's just say it, it does get me a little hot that I'm going to have to do a little extra post-processing after the show is over to fix all of this. So saying thank you for that giant mistake on your part. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But uh, if you're looking for something that is actually going to be hot, it is our takes today. Our predictions for 2023. And I would like to tell you that this is a new segment that we've dreamed up right now, but we're just stealing it from 2022. We're just using the same material just like we all do this time of year. But I do have five of the hottest predictions. Actually ranging from moderately warm to decently hot. Oh, come on. None of your takes are like what, scorching? What am I coming on from? You told me you don't even have that, that ridiculously hot take for me to sink my teeth into. We'll see. I might surprise what, you. Took you. this legitimately? You, you thought we were going to do serious predictions this time of year? I've got five serious hot takes. All right. Well, I've got five semi-serious hot takes. I just thought that this time of year, this is your one chance to take a big swing, and if you get it wrong, then you can say, well, that was just a segment at the beginning of the year where we're doing some hot takes. It's supposed to be ridiculous. But if you get it right, then you say, look, back in January of 2023, I was on that. I knew it was going to happen. It's a built-in safety net. I thought you would take advantage of that. Well, also, the key here is you have nothing to lose because nobody listening, nobody, none of you are going to write these down or keep track of them. The minute this episode ends, you're going to totally forget this ever happened, right? I'm kind of... So you kind of freaking me out with the way you're looking into the camera right now. <laughs> For those of you watching on YouTube, you will be able to see it. I'm kind of, kind of weirded out by that. Can I say one thing? The <laughs> I hope you have more than one thing to say. The uh, I meant to mention this at the beginning. It was New Year's Eve. It was like almost six p.m. And there is a full blown debate going on in the discord about what gabriel arias versus other platoon first base options yes oh, that's why i love that place yeah if you're not a member of the discord you might you want to join that? the patreon and then join the discord <laughs> it's something else i, I love it right most people freaking out about what Ohio State's going to do in the game in a, a matter of hours. Not our Discord. Nope. Not worried about what's happening next year as far as life changes and resolutions. The only resolution they care about is getting a right-handed stick to face left-handed pitching. That's it. That's all the people in our Discord care about. Maybe there will be a prediction about that. We'll see. Would you like to lead us off with your very first hot take of 2023? Sure. Do you have a sound effect for this like you did last week? 
No. Do you want me to get like the, the Yule log sound effect of the fire in the background? No, I don't have anything for this. Hot take number one. Josh Bell will be a Cleveland Guardian for one year only. That's not that hot. Whoa. Like what? Whoa. That's a perfect, perfect segue into mine, by the way. Okay. I just. He doesn't have to be an MVP candidate to opt out. I mean, he's just going to want something better than one year, 16 and a half million for 2024. And. That might be, he might prefer a lower average annual value for a longer term. So I think he's going to have a good season. I think he believes the lack of a shift in a traditional sense will help him. And he's proven he's not your prototypical three true outcomes, all or nothing type slugger. So, whether it's hitting for power, drawing a ton of walks, making enough contact to keep the strikeout rate tolerable, he's got some skills that I think can translate into, I don't know what exactly, he's had a lot of different types of seasons, but one good enough where it's one and done in Cleveland. Interesting. My first hot take of 2023 is that Josh Bell won't be bad, but he'll be back. Whoa. We disagree. We disagree right off the, the, the bat here. I like it. My thought process is he's going to be a lot of what he has been, which is very streaky. At the end of the year, the numbers are still going to look good. But considering what first base DH types do or do not get at this point uh, of baseball, I think he sticks with the higher annual value. Instead of entering the market with the uncertainty of what do you find for a guy that's another year older coming off of a solid but not great year. There's still some hope when you sign Bell right now that he is closer to the all-star then he is the guy that's just a solid bat. Another year, if he is just kind of the same as he has been for another year and he's another year older, is that hope still there that he's going to be able to be a, put together a full season where he's like a 140 WRC plus? Maybe that, that wanes a little bit, that hope. So I, th- I think he's back, but he's not terrible. He's just very solid, and everybody's happy that that marriage continues yeah so you're saying it's more I think we're saying similar things almost but we're disagreeing about maybe the market yeah how he interprets that either way this wasn't really a hot take would you say no but you just gotta ease your way into it. Going through What's your the, second hot take for twenty twenty three? Going through the list of winking lizard wings sauces to determine just how hot. 
This is like a mild, maybe like honey garlic. Hmm. Yeah, but sometimes that's good to kind of get the the taste flowing. Yeah, get your taste buds going a little bit before you you really kick it up to the next notch. Maybe even one below that, like bourbon barrel, which is like a sweet Mm. molasses sauce. Notes mm. of caramel and sriracha. You know, they mm. don't advertise with us, but... Sometimes that. They probably should after... <laughs> by the time we get to the end of this episode. Sometimes that that sweetness helps bring out some of the additional flavors later on. Yeah. Hmm. Let, let, let's, let's see what's coming out next on that plate. Let's say Bo Naylor catches more games than Mike Zanino. Oh. Whoa! You said these weren't hot. <laughs> yeah, that's like a spicy sesame. I, I mean, you're talking about someone that we both believe is not going to start the year on the Major League Club. So he's going to have to play catch up a couple of months into the season. How do you how do you arrive at that outcome? That's what I want to know. So at this moment, on January 2nd, they don't have a backup catcher. Maybreeze Valoria is probably the favorite. Um, But, you know, there are questions about... That's, that's only if he survives Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon Season 2. Sure. There, there are questions in general. I mean, like, Zanino, by all accounts, his and the team's, is should be good to go for spring training. But, like, catchers get beat up, right? You need more than one guy. I don't think you can... You're not banking on Zanino catching 140 games. Uh, Valoria is a non-roster guy. I, I just... Even like if Zanino gets hurt, I don't know that you want Valoria catching seven days a week. I think Naylor's going to play a pretty significant role, and I just think he'll be adept enough to take over the reins moving into the second half. I don't think it's going to be like Bo Naylor catches 120 games either, but you know maybe Zanino catches 70 and Naylor catches 75, something like that. And yeah. Sure. And I mean, I, again, like there's no, I don't have scientific data behind this. I don't have medical knowledge that makes me think Zanino can't rebound from his shoulder surgery. It's just, I think Bo Naylor's good. And I don't think, I don't think it's like, even if you want him to start in AAA just for a little bit, like it's okay if he comes up and he's the backup or is just, catching twice a week for a little bit. And if he's doing that and he's excelling at it, you can give him a little more and then a little more. And by the end of the season, he might be your, your main guy. And you don't know, we're only focusing on catchers, but throughout the season, you could have injuries to other position players that would open up perhaps DH at-bats for Naylor to help out there if he is excelling offensively. 
and you just want to keep him in the rhythm of just the season, there are ways for, for them both to coexist, as we talked about endlessly with Murphy, too. I would like to see it. I would love to see that combination. Then you feel like you never take a true step back as long as Zanino is healthy-ish and Naylor is progressing. You never take a step back at catcher on any particular day. That's more than you can say about that position offensively for certain for many, many years for this team. I'm interested to see how many of these are just focused on prospects because quite a few of them are for me. Number two, this one might be a little bit hot. Daniel Espino will start a playoff game for the Guardians in 2023. Okay. Uh, let's take this up to... Let's go. <laughs> That's... How about Chipotle chili? That's yeah. decently warm, I would think. Their picture of it is the lizard in a red jalapeno pepper costume with a sombrero, and there's fire at his feet. Yeah, I would say that's probably about right. I see. I was going to go with Espino comes up and he's like a bullpen weapon for them in the playoffs, but that doesn't feel that. that no, this is hot takes for 2023 clickbait headlines. That's what we want here. Start a playoff game. Put the foot down and, and show some oomph with your predictions, and that's what I thought. Well, that then I'm just going to reveal my third one because I, I said one of the three young stud prospect starting pitchers becomes a regular in the rotation in the second half of the season. You can go Espino, you can go Bybee, you can go Williams. I don't know who will be the leader of the pack in six months, but I think one of them contributes. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, yours is Chipotle chili, that's... mine's... I don't know. Goldfinger. <laughs> Do you want a description? I don't think that's that's too bold. Yes. It's like a sweet and tangy sauce made from blend of mustard, cayenne pepper, and apple cider vinegar. <laughs> I need to know if we make at least one person, one listener, go there. I need to know. If you go there, you need to send us a message. <laughs> if we forced you just by Zach talking about it, then I need to know about it. And then we need to tell the Winking Lizard, and then they need to the, pass along some royalties, I think, become a regular sponsor. I, I was thinking along the same lines as you. One of them is going to come up and, and play a significant role. And then the more I thought about it, I think there's a good chance that all three could very much come come up and and play a role for this team now it's going to be based on what they need what other injuries they have uh, bullpen too any of them could come up and help out of the bullpen late in the season but this is the same the reason why I felt comfortable saying that about Espino is there every year one of the pitchers that seems a little bit off the radar or maybe a year and a half away just makes the jump we weren't talking about Shane Bieber begin to begin the season that he came up and ended up playing a significant role on this team as their number five. It it happens regularly with with this team. I I think it very well could happen with any of them, and I think multiple of them is probably a very a, a very safe bet. You're going to need more than five starting pitchers throughout the season, even if they don't develop into being a, a mainstay in the rotation in 23. Yeah, it's it's the biggest question I have going into spring training is, 
honestly, what's the AAA rotation going to be? Because if you keep the major league rotation at Bieber, McKenzie, Quantrill, Plesak, Savali, where does that leave Cody Morris? And then is your AAA rotation Curry, Gaddis, Pilkington, Battenfield, Cantillo? What about Logan Allen? And then you've got Williams, Bybee, Espino, Tanner Burns. I mean, that's a few too many cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> so is someone getting converted into a relief role? Is there a trade? What's going on here? And, you know, like, I, I don't know that Bybee and Williams and Espino need to be in double A. Or if they are, it's only for five minutes. So what are you doing at AAA? I asked this question at the winter meetings and people just kind of laughed and said, oh, you can never have too much pitching. Y- yeah, sure. But you you only have so many spots. So how are you doing this? Because, and, and then who, if someone gets injured or someone falters, who gets that first call? And what is the order of operations here? I, I, it's a, it's, it's going to be fascinating because at what point does it's almost like we should keep a power ranking throughout the year of next man up because I can imagine at you know on April 15th Daniel Spino is not going to be number 1 on that list just because he barely pitched last season. Yeah. But by June right. 15th he might be think about Tanner Bybee at this point last year. Mm-hmm. Was he anywhere close to being a top thir- top three on that depth chart? Hell no. This year, yeah, very much so, because he made some significant leaps into the season and then throughout the season. So we don't know. You know we, we don't know what prospect has added three miles per hour to their fastball this offseason because it's still in the process of happening <laughs> at this point. Guys are going to take steps back, and other guys are going to take steps forward. That's just how this goes. The the thing, the only thing, well, really, there's two things. For Espino, health, of course. The second thing is, for the three that we've talked about, are they all here? Have any of them been turned into something else? Is that the reason why Brian Reynolds is the next Cleveland Guardians outfielder in 2023? Here are the signs, according to... Nobody. The thing I just made up right now. Uh, that's the only thing that stands in the way in my mind of we us seeing all three of them this year. It's a lot What's of starting next? pitchers. All right, we'll stick with the young guy theme. George Valera will hit his way into being a regular by August. Yeah, I think a lot of people anticipate that. I'm gonna go mild, just classic mm. Buffalo style wing sauce. My my wondering would be, where does he fit in? Where is he playing if this happens? And what happened at the major league level that, ala- that enabled that to happen? That's why I phrased it the way that I did. Well, hit his way into being a regular. In other words, he forces the issue, not, some, not Miles Straw being bad, not Oscar Gonzalez taking a step back. George Valera is so good, but they're just finding a way to get his bat into the lineup. That's the more preferable outcome here as opposed to somebody stinks and, okay, Valera's next up. That's why it was a little bit warmer than just mild in my mind. I think that's how they prefer it. I mean, it's it's 
a little ironic because Oscar Gonzalez, you could say he hit his way on. Just, I mean, he was hitting well in AAA for the last year and a half, but we've talked at length about how they didn't protect him from the Rule 5 draft that never happened, and he was never anywhere to be found on a top prospects list, and then he's just hitting fourth or fifth and playing right field every day and looked like he belonged. But I think I think a lot of people are still feeling like the jury's out on him. And it's not because of anything he accomplished. It's it's the skill set. It's just like doesn't quite compute. And you want to see it again over a full season. And until that happens, it's just tough to put anything behind it. It's it's so I think Yeah. What you're laying out there, especially because who knows, you know, if Straw is just not getting the job done offensively and it's July, you might have to make a, a switch there. And Will Brennan could factor into this as well. But I do think there are avenues for George Valera to get some opportunities in 2023. And if he he can force the issue, I think I think you make a pretty compelling case. I think he also needs to, to to maintain his status as being a, a top 100, one of the best prospects in your system. He has to take that step forward. I can excuse that he was just a little bit better than, than average at AAA last year, first time at the level. If he had significantly struggled, then I think you would have major concerns. And there still are some concerns deeper within uh, about his particular skills he takes that next step forward this year and becomes a legitimate force at AAA, and then you want to see him at the major league level, then that star power potential that we have discussed for many years here is still very much alive. But this is a, this is a, a pretty big year for him to prove that, uh, that that's still there and that those, those, uh, those predictions earlier in his career were, were very much warranted. What's next for you? All right, this is spicy garlic. Mm, love some spicy garlic. The number two starting pitcher on the Guardians in 2023, Aaron Savali. Whoa. Not sure if I like this spicy garlic. <laughs> I don't know. Might be sending this back to the kitchen. Please elaborate. I, I'm not going to use metrics or data to back this up either. It's just a feeling. I, I was trying to, I was thinking about this last night and I was trying to rationalize the explanation in my head. And I'm, I was thinking, like the difference between him and Plesak. I feel like the only time I've we've ever seen Plesak pitch like a top-of-the-rotation type starter for more than just like a random start here or there was 2020. And I, I just can't put much stock into that season, good or bad. Um, and like, he, he he was really good, but it was, it was eight starts, too. Like, he didn't even have the full thing because he traded Pokemon cards in Chicago or whatever. But Savali was so good... 
before he got injured in 2021. And you still saw glimpses of it last season. And I just think that's in there. And I think the guy is so smart that he can figure it out. He had so many starts and stops last season that, you know, when when you can't, he in particular feels like someone who needs to be in a rhythm, who needs to just, you know, he doesn't have overpowering stuff. So he's not a guy who can just go out there randomly and just dominate you. I don't know. I just feel like he's going to have a good year. The The question I have is with him and Plesak, what happens if things go awry? What do you do with them? Plesak has seemed to be ticketed for the bullpen for years. His 2020 season delayed that because he was spectacular that year and then has just never gotten back there. Savali... I feel like we've been predicting that sort of breakout for him since he arrived. You're right that he seems cerebral enough to be able to take a, a bit of a step forward. But I, I, I don't want to say have, I've soured on him, but I don't know that I'm, I'm waiting for that breakout as much as I, I was in years past. Funny you bring up the number two starter on the Guardians. The number two starter for the Guardians this past year was Tristan McKenzie. And my next hot take for 2023 is that Tristan McKenzie finishes in the top five in Cy Young voting this year. Hmm. Oh, that's pretty what good. Flavor what flavor is that? How about green sriracha for that? Poblano and jalapeno peppers, zesty lime, tomatillos. Vinegar, cilantro, garlic, sugar. That's a that's a lot of ingredients. And a pinch of cumin. Hmm. Just a pinch. I, I couldn't f- figure out how I wanted to phrase this. At first, I was going to say that he was going to finish with a better season or maybe a better war than Shane Bieber. M- maybe he does. I'm curious to see if more of his underlying, McKenzie, more of his underlying metrics match up with performance because he outpitched them in ERA. His FIP was solid. It wasn't spectacular this past year. The strikeouts weren't as high. Maybe that played a factor into it. This could be the year. Initially, it was the feeling out process, and then towards the end of 21, he started to get locked in, and then 22 was his first year. I belong here, and you saw that really take off. This could be the year for him where he just goes bananas and just is absolutely fantastic, puts it everything together with velocity and consistency. And remember, even this past year, consistency pitch to pitch, and he was getting getting, uh, taken advantage of by the home run ball every once in a while. And then those those things started to even out and, and calm down. I know some of that is is luck based too, um, and so it's out of the pitcher's hands. But really, in the second half, you saw him blossom into being a guy that is near top of the rotation, legitimately. Uh, so this this could be a year for him where he just finally it's all together for him, and and I think it could be a, a fun season to chronicle and watch. McKenzie in the top five in the Cy Young. You you say it's a pretty hot take. I don't know. 
I don't I wouldn't put it past him. Smart kid, determined. I think he's got a great leadership quality to him. I think he's uh, an, an entire package as far as a pitcher goes. And we'll see if he can make uh, more of a jump in some of the stuff underneath the hood. I know the his start against the Yankees in the division series, the numbers didn't look great at the end of that outing. But he just looked like he had command like of the moment, the situation. I mean, he was brilliant against Tampa in that game that ended up going one million innings. But it's amazing, too, how... I I don't even know how to explain it, but like him and Bieber out there in the playoffs, you felt like those were your aces and they, especially Bieber, obviously, but there's just a weird level of comfort. And I almost feel like you separate starting pitchers into two pools. Once you get to October, it's either just this guy is going to throw a scoreless inning next. This guy is going to make you bite your nails and stress out. And Bieber and McKenzie seem like the first group where you just trust them implicitly. Yes. And it's almost like a pass fail thing for, yeah. for guys in the playoffs. Do yeah. you trust him with the ball in the playoffs or are you scared to high heaven? Mm-hmm. <laughs> McKenzie is definitely a guy that you trust. All right. I have one more. Their hottest sauce is fire in the hole. And the description starts by saying, that, eat at your own risk. I was going to ask if you have to sign a waiver for that. So do, I, do I have to sign anything before you say what this take is? No, I'm not going to go quite that level. Okay. I'll go 911. This is where Winking Lizard takes their hot sauce and mixes it with the hottest spices they can find. Your American League MVP is Jose Ramirez. Oh, that is, that's pretty spicy. It shouldn't be, but it is. So disclaimer, there's only one person who might, who can wreck this, and I think it's Shohei Otani, who might be in a, contract year too but I think everything is set up for Ramirez to finally win it he has never said this publicly that I'm aware of but I'm willing to bet that he badly wants to win one I think he's like he's made note of it before like during a season that he'd like to win it but I I think I wouldn't be surprised if it's pretty primary motivator for him just because he's gotten close so many times. Everything is set up for this year for him to do it. He's healthy. We saw what he could do with one hand last season. Now he has two hands, which is almost three. And he will have, I don't know how much I believe in like lineup protection, but he'll have it. He'll have, a switch hitter hitting behind him. You know, if that if they go back to back with Ramirez and Bell, then the opposing team isn't really like, yeah, you could go to the lefty because Bell might be slightly better against righties, but like 
the point is here, you're not going to, you're not necessarily going to make a move just to face those guys. And then with no shift, I don't know exactly how much it's going to help him, but I know it's not going to hurt. And how many times did we see him hit one on the screws to the short right fielder? That's not going to happen anymore. So he's a good enough hitter to take advantage of that. Yeah, I don't I don't know what sorts of wrinkles are going to come to be because there is a limit on shifting. But we've seen teams throw the kitchen sink at Jose Ramirez and they're not going to be able to do that anymore. So I think that'll benefit him. Um and I think you know there's there's probably something to be said about just the the situation too mentally. You think about last season couple of days before opening day, like he didn't know what franchise he was going to play for. And you saw how much that bugged him because he was knocking on Chris Antonetti's hotel room door saying, hello, can I please sign with you? And made it happen. And even when that's all settled, no one knew that that team was going to do what it did. And I'm sure he felt like, all right, I signed this big contract. I'm the guy. They're asking me to to play really hard to show these young kids to do the same. There's a lot of pressure on me here. And then he gets injured when you saw his numbers when he got injured. I mean, his his OPS was over a thousand at the time. That's all in the past. You know, he can have a clear head. He's the guy, but this is a team that should be good, should be a playoff team. He's got his contract. Like, there are no more out, there's no outside noise. And I wonder if that can help him too. Yeah, there's there's a lot there that we can't quantify, but conceivably could help. As far as the the lack of shifting goes, what it, what is tough to account for is the mental aspect of of being a hitter, thinking that you could do everything right, and then also believing that the defense is going to take it away from you even when you execute the way that you want to. And when teams were putting their infielders into the shift, it was it was multifaceted. Yeah, you wanted to take away those drives into shallow right field and take away a few singles, but I also think you wanted to you wanted to be in the hitter's head. You wanted them to adjust. Because if, if you're talking about a guy like Ramirez who is so focused on pulling the ball in the air, and if he doesn't square it up completely but still hits the ball hard, he's probably going to find some hits to the outfield. However, if you get him thinking about, I need to slap it through the, the left side of the infield here as opposed to, I need to do the most damage I can possibly do, even if it results in a single and everyone goes, aha, analytics don't work because it goes through where the shortstop would have been, did it not work? Because that guy just didn't hit, line up and hit a double, hit a home run off of me, and perhaps was thinking about just a solid single. Now you don't have to worry about that as a hitter. You can just go up there and try to execute and not think about, I need to adjust this. I need to, I need to become a singles hitter in this situation. No, you just go be all of yourself. And whether or not it actually... Once it played out, once once the ball left your bat made a big difference, it could make a big difference as far as 
how you approach those at-bats. So that'll be curious, and every hitter is going to deal with that on some level. This could be this could be the year. Although we do say, is this going to be the year where he finally breaks out and is the best player in the American League? That already happened in 2020. He didn't get the award. Okay, here is hey, the... Here is the final hot take for 2023. After this, we're not going to make any more predictions for the rest of the year, so soak it all in. <laughs> Josh Naylor going through an offseason where he's going to be able to focus more on his athleticism is going to win the gold glove at first base this year. Not quite sure how to I'm process, let you process that. that i don't i i love that you just went through the you know the meme where the the woman that does the face and then she goes mm. you know that meme <laughs> that was just you that was you at first you were like but then you thought about it a little bit and you're like mm, i don't know i mean he can't beat out vladimir guerrero jr at first base who had three defensive runs saved this year Josh Naylor, by the way, had one defensive run saved. He wasn't even a train wreck at first base this year. Don't you feel like we've seen him get better at that position since he first arrived? Yeah. How about the play he made against Tampa in the postseason? Sure. Yeah. And he's doing I, that on. I, uh, I'm just struggling after an offseason where he couldn't walk. Right. I'm struggling to determine if that spicy barbecue. Tie. I don't know. I mean, that's not fire in the hole, right? I was all ready for Josh Naylor will <laughs> win the MVP. <laughs> headbutt someone and by doing that so, give them like powers certainty. that lead them to lead the league in something. Mm, that would be him transferring his energy somehow. That feels like it's a scientific thing. Through the transitive property, you're able to transfer the power through the head, the crown of your head into the other. That No, no. Um, I think this is decently hot. Is he going to play enough for space? Nobody... Were we saying the same things about Carlos Santana at one point? He made himself in a pretty damn good first baseman. Yeah, but how much first base will Josh Bell play? Yeah, I if Naylor's playing a gold glove caliber first base, probably not very much. How much right field will Josh Naylor play? Mm. Dude, if Rafael Palmero can win it playing 32 games or whatever at first base, I think Naylor can get past the, the qualifications to be able to win it at first base. All right. I don't know. That's all I got. That's all I got. Make sure to stop by your local winking lizard. How would you? S- <laughs> how how hot do you think it got in here? Uh, like sixty four degrees on a early January <laughs> day type hot. And to wear my my cap down here. It was a little cold this morning, and uh, got my hot coffee with the mug, courtesy of uh, my four year old daughter for Christmas. You like my my heart mug? I do. Gotta show that off. Gotta show that off. My favorite. Uh, it is great. When you, the older you get and become a, a father, can't wait until young Meisel Jr. gives you that first gift that 
If you got you got it from anybody else, you would say, why am I getting this? But if you get it from your child, yeah, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use it every single day. I'm going to show it off to everybody. Nothing yet. He didn't get you anything this year. I mean, talk about selfish. Just some scratches to my face. <laughs> All right, final thing for today. We've been asked for months at this point to to delve into some of the reasons why and some of the explanations for the the statistics, the advanced ones that we use on this show. Uh, we're not going to spend hours and hours on this, but I think uh, it's it's beneficial every once in a while to kind of refresh everybody why we use th- You hear us say things like WRC Plus a lot or even OPS Plus, and you hear plus after everything. We talk about FIP occasionally, but you know, we, we do use some advanced data on this show, and... We try not to hit anybody over the head with it. I don't think it's entertaining to just list those sorts of things, but we do use them throughout the show, and it does occur to me, and people tweet us occasionally, hey, can you just go through that a little bit and, and maybe help us under understand what we're what we're talking about here? Lots changed. I remember uh, maybe like 2014, 2015 maybe. I feel like you and Jordan Bastion sort of dove headfirst into advanced statistics. And it seemed like a foreign language at first. Sometimes it still does. But it's amazing. I I mean, I didn't think, I certainly wasn't alone in this, but I didn't think they'd become so mainstream and as quickly as they have. I think a lot of baseball fans are pretty smart. And I think part of the issue is, you know, it used to be nice when you could just, you had stats you could calculate yourself, right? It's pretty easy. This guy had three hits and 10 at-bats, so I know he's hitting 300. That's all I care about. And you can count his home runs and his RBIs and his doubles and everything else. So I think there's a little bit of a, it's almost like a trust factor. I'm just supposed to s- trust that Fangraph says this guy has a 117 WRC plus, so he's good. All right. Didn't really pass my eye test to that degree. I don't know how you calculate WRC plus, but I guess I'll trust it. So I think that's part of it. Knowing when to implement certain statistics to help you build an argument or just make an evaluation yourself. I think that can be tricky. So I certainly understand some of the resistance to it. Um, but I think everybody has the same goal in the end anyway. And that's why maybe this stuff can help people who want to use it, but maybe don't know how, or are still hesitant to do so. You know, I, I find the same struggle in writing... Because you're, you want to choose carefully, and you're right. You don't want to just beat people over the head with it. And if you're trying to explain why someone's good or why someone's not getting the job done, and you are leaning on all these metrics that people don't understand, your the presentation of your case is not going to register. And so I think it's it's pretty critical. I mean, I always try to like I've leaned on WRC plus more and more. 
and I like it because it's you can it's a way to compare across eras across yeah. the league and you know 100 is league average so I, I try to explain you know if I'm saying Bo Naylor's projected a 107 WRC plus means he'd be seven percent above league average you know I'm trying to explain that anytime I write it um, because without that context that means nothing to a lot of people sure well even something like batting average while I, I might not be able to to, to do it as quickly as I do just looking at his home run and RBI total, I understand. It's his hits, at-bats, divide those, got it. Uh, ERA, how many runs he's allowing over nine innings. Okay, I got it. I can get to those things pretty quickly. You're right that there is some trust factor. I don't know the formula for WRC+, plus, which is weighted runs created plus. Don't know it. I've looked at it before. I've studied it before. Today, I can't tell you the exact formula. But it, I love all of the plus statistics that we use because they all, as you said, are a way to sort of put everyone on even ground and then we can look at how much above or below average a certain player is. And when you hear the word average, you think that that's bad, but average is, is, is okay. It's not great. But it's it's it was, okay. There's a certain stigma to being a, an, an average player. <laughs> uh, you're an average player. Either people want to sign you to a 10-year extension at shortstop for the Guardians, or they want you off the team tomorrow. <clears throat> What's up, Ahmed Rosario? So I like the plus statistics because we can all, even if you don't understand exactly what I'm saying when a guy, his r runs created, you might not ex understand exactly what I'm saying, but if I'm saying he's a 110, I think we can all understand 10% better than league average. For guys, 20% better than league average. And if you don't trust a statistic, then just pull up the leaderboard and sort them by top, and then look at who the top hit, top 20 hitters are in baseball. Does that pass your smell test? Then you're probably on a pretty good path here to getting a statistic that's that's meaningful. So as far as weighted runs created plus, and we use that a lot, that helps to explain just 100 being league average. If a guy's 20% above, it's a 120. If he's 12% below, it's an 88. That's pretty easy to understand. The other reason why I like it is that it's weighted. And it's also weighted in such a way that people that play at Coors Field that are piling up hits and home runs and doubles will be... And maybe aggressively, but that can be weighted to compare that to someone that doesn't play at Coors Field. We talk about different ballparks having different dimensions. Guy playing at Yankee Stadium might benefit from being a left-handed pull hitter. How do you compare that guy to someone that's playing at Kauffman Stadium? Well, that's what WRC Plus can try to help. It's maybe not perfect, and things year to year can somewhat shift, but it's pretty dang good at being a catch-all for that sort of thing. And that's why I, I like that. So just when we talk about WRC+, plus, we're talking about just a guy's offensive runs created compared to the league average in that particular year. And that can shift year to year. A, a guy that has a 121 year is not going to be the same as a guy that has a 120 a, a few years ago. Even this past year, guys that were barely getting to a 700 OPS were well above average as far as OPS, and it's the same sort of thing in OPS+. plus. So anytime you see that plus statistic, whether it's OPS, whether it's WRC plus, 
uh, ERA plus and minus. There's different statistics there, but just picture it. 100 is league average. You're trying to get above league average, and you're trying to avoid being below league average. And every number above or below 100 tells you where they're at in that spectrum. Barry Bonds' best WRC plus came in 2002, which was the year after he hit 73 home runs. Can you guess what his WRC plus was? <laughs> uh, 240. Whoa. 244. Great job. Whoa. So he had a four-year stretch. I knew it was something ridiculous. Four-year stretch from 2001 to 2004, his WRC plus by year, 235, 244, 212, 233. So for four years, and by the way, those were his age uh, 30, I think like 36 to 39 seasons. Um, He was like almost two and a half times better than the league average hitter. So, and yes, like, okay, like there was other stuff at play there. There was other stuff at play for a lot of guys. So he was still head and shoulders very large head and large shoulders above <laughs> everybody else. Come on. It's also not fair. He he is raising the average. We need a, the WRC plus without him involved. Hmm. And then look at how far he is above that average. Right? He's skewing the mark by being that good. That's not fair. We need a sort sort of median runs created to to look at as well. Uh, FIP is uh, a a statistic for pitchers. It's not leaned on quite as much as it once was, but that is just a way to remove any sort of bad luck or good luck or defense or anything that is, is truly outside the pitcher's control. Now, we could have debates about whether guys can outpitch their FIP, whether their stuff is, uh, there are certain guys that maybe are better at getting softer contact than others, and there's a lot of debate about how much a pitcher controls about the how hard a guy is hitting the ball, whether or not your arsenal can do anything to deaden that and, and manage contact. But when you're just looking at FIP, you're thinking of, does he strike people out? Does he avoid walks or give up a ton of walks? And does he give up home runs? We think of those as being the three things that a pitcher has the most in their control. And while there are, I think, indications that some people are better than others at outpitching that, it gives you a pretty good indication of, of the things that only the pitcher can control. And that's, that's a helpful thing, too, as opposed to just looking at ERA or just looking at any other statistic you might find. Yeah, I had a Cy Young vote this past season, and I... It's it's really helpful to look at, you know, I'm not watching all of Framber Valdez's starts, so I have a surface level view of of his season just from his statistics, and I did see him a couple times, but you can use FIP, compare it to ZRA, look at the walk rate, the strikeout rate, strand rate, things like that. Just to get a better sense of, was there flukiness involved? Did this guy just have some rotten luck? 
Um, and sometimes it's a skill, you know, you might, guys get, might get on and, and you don't wilt under that pressure. I think we, that's, it's part of the reason why Cal Quantrill consistently outperforms his metrics is I don't think he cares if it's first and second and one out. So you, just using those things again, well, also it, it, guys have, have different things in their arsenal. Maybe he's a ground ball yeah. pitcher. That if a guy gets on first base, he's one ground ball away from getting out of a, a jam. More so than a guy that relies on fly balls and strikeouts. It's just all context to try to paint you the most complete picture possible. And I think sometimes you can just look at ERA and maybe you look at strikeouts per inning and walks per inning and, and, and home runs and you're, something's missing. I think FIP can fill in some of those gaps. But not all of them, as you were saying. Right. It's just a, an, another thing that helps you paint a more complete picture of, of what a pitcher is. If I just looked at his ERA and I ignored the ballpark that he played in or the defense that he played or that played behind him, maybe he had a great defense. Maybe he played in a pitcher's park or the other way around. Maybe he played in front of a crappy defense in a terrible park for pitchers to try to succeed in. Maybe that doesn't matter as much for awards, and we could have debates on whether or not we sh- for awards, you should vote based on what actually did happen or what should have happened. But when we're talking about evaluation, if you're thinking about, do I want to acquire this guy or do I think this is a good pickup for the Guardians? That's information I want to know. And I could look at the defense. I could look at the ballpark. It's also nice to just pull up the Fangraphs page and just see that in front of me and give me a nice starting point. And for some people, maybe that's all they need. But things like FIP, or war, which wins above replacement should never be just the the end of the argument, though it often is. It should be a great place for us all to start our conversation and then work off of that. Yeah, it feels like sometimes, especially with the MVP vote, it's just look at the war leaderboard and the top 10 is your ballot. And that's not, it's not the intention of when the BBWA was the, the voting body, when they were decided to be the voting body, that's not, wasn't the spirit of that decision. It's, you know, you're trying to, it's just, there's, there's more nuance than that. And war is helpful and it's all encompassing and it's definitely giving you a broader scope of what a player accomplished, but I think then you need to look under the hood and see why that number is what it is. Yeah, see if a guy is reliant on good defensive value, which could be fluky year to year. I I don't love referencing too much a guy's solo season defensive performance. That can get messy sometimes. That's why I like to look at uh, something like defensive run saved, Sounds simple, right? How many runs did that guy save defensively when he was out there? But I also want to look at at Baseball Savant, which is through uh, the, the StatCast data. They're able to utilize outs above average, which is an actual running total of how many outs that guy gets above or below what an average fielder would get. And it's based on data like the launch angle, the, the exit velocity, uh, and, and a few other factors that they've sprinkled in there throughout the years. 
if a guy has a high war total, but the offense was only good, you look at it, you can you can say, okay, maybe maybe I want to to take that with a grain of salt because a lot of the value is based on defensive value, which can fluctuate year to year, even with great defenders, especially in the outfield too. You see that year to year, those wild fluctuations. All of this is to say, as you have laid out, it all helps paint the complete picture of the player that you're looking at. And I get it, not everyone wants to sit there and do that for hours and hours and hours. I think the nice thing about data and some of the metrics, you get to determine what your level of interest and desire to look into a player is. If you want to stop just at one number, okay. If you want to go a little bit deeper, you can do that too. The options are there. It's, we can have arguments about whether or not more data is better for things like talk shows or if it was better when it was a little bit more obscure and you could just kind of piece things together yourself and made for a more fun conversation. But as far as a front office evaluating a player, there's no such thing as having too much data unless you just don't know how to use it. It's interesting. I, I, you know, we spend so much time studying the baseball side of this that referencing WRC plus or war FIP or something, it's pretty second nature. And I think we understand how to apply it. You know, I've tried to learn more about the other sports or put myself in the shoes of a fan who might be open to baseball metrics, but is a novice at it. Cause that's how I feel. You know, I see EPA and DVOA a lot in football. And I know that I know what's good and what's not. I don't know how you got there and I don't know when to cite it. And I think, I guess I'm saying like I understand the learning curve and the complexities here. And it's, it, it, you're right. The reason why it doesn't work for talk radio is because you have such a diverse cast of listeners. And if you start, you know, if you're talking Browns and Baker Mayfield, 24 7, 365. The minute you reference EPA per dropback, what percent <laughs> of your listenership is changing the station? Yeah. Yeah. Might be fun to sprinkle in for a quick segment or something for those that want to go deeper, but it's tough to build an entire narrative of a show around that. I also think that that plays into discussions we have about, I'm trying to think of, this probably is a pretty easy discussion, but like, let's say we're going to debate who had the better year, who meant more to the Guardians, Ramirez or Andres Jimenez this past year. In the past, we we would just go, well, what about you know this this total here and this total? Now it's like, well, hold on, let's just pull up fan graphs. Well, here's the war total that answers that. Next segment, and is that fun? I don't know. It might be more fun to just kind of operate based on bad information, but be able to build your case on that. I struggle with that. Sometimes data, I think, clouds what can be 
or what what once was very fun conversations that now we just arrive at quickly because we just pull up the leaderboard and I'll I'll tell you who had the most war and then that's it. My, yeah, I, I used to argue because I would get back in the day I would get comments on Cleveland.com, especially why why are you referencing OPS or war or any of that like just people who are angry that I was citing these statistics. And my argument would be, well, like, for example, if Team X signs player Y to a lucrative contract, it's because they like something about player Y. It's probably not his RBI total, right? You know, it's probably a little bit more advanced than that. So if you want to know why this team likes this player, I should cite some of the numbers the team's probably using that make them like him. So it's, and you should want to know like exactly why. Like I'm not going to sit here and say it's because he batted 285. It's that that's, I could say that that's not why the team signed him. Maybe unless you're the Rockies, but I think it's important to know, you want to know what the team's thinking, right? With every decision. And so to tell you that we have to, and they've got more advanced stuff than we do, but we can give you an idea of what they're thinking by using some of the advanced metrics. Yeah. And I think it also is important to note when you have, gone awry or you have used bad data or you've gotten better at certain things just because we talk about wrc plus and fip or whatever doesn't mean there's not going to be some better way to evaluate somebody in the future you have to be able to adjust off of that maybe 15 20 years ago teams were citing what a guy's batting average on balls in play was and saying oh we should go get this guy because he had an unlucky year maybe not thinking about or completely understanding the reasons for a guy having a bad batting average on balls in play, maybe it is luck, or maybe it was deeper than that. And and so, you know, we have these discussions about a guy having a bad year. Looking back, you have to be able to call yourself out and say, I had flawed logic. I wasn't I didn't see the whole picture yet. This is a this is always an ongoing thing. You should never feel like this is it, we've got all the answers. And I also think it's important when someone demonstrates a desire to want to know more just because you, and this is how I feel about it, I need to do a better job of helping that person embrace them and understand them instead of dismissing them Mm -hmm. and saying, ah, you're utilizing batting average. What kind of an idiot would do that? that? That's not, that's not good for expanding the sport. It's not good for helping people to understand these things. And there are times where we do just a bullshit job of explaining these things, and that's on us. We shouldn't look at the people that don't understand it and say, what are you doing? Well, maybe people don't have the time, or it's just overwhelming. If you just saw that stuff today and you had to just face that like a mountain, no one's going to accomplish that. And certainly none of us started that way. You grasp one concept, you move on to the next one. And so this is all just a long way of me saying, 
it's tough for us to have a conversation about this without just going through the glossary and reading that. I don't know that anybody actually wants that. But let's use this as a way to open up the door and say, if there's anything specific you want to know more about, reach out to us and we will try our best to the best of our understanding to help you, under, to help you gain an understanding of why that's important. Got to say, when I was a little kid playing Triple Play 99, I never realized how much math tied into sports. I was good at math, too. I liked math, but I liked the simple math. Hey, I can yeah. count to 73. That's how many home runs Barry Bonds has. I remember seeing that stuff. They were hidden deeper in the statistics. What a guy's run created total was. Well, that's not accurate. Look at the RBIs that guy has. Shut up, small TJ. You don't know anything. You ready for 2023? Here's a fire in the hole take. Oh, boy. It's going to be a fun year. I hope. For Zach, I'm TJ. Thanks for finding us. We'll see you later this week. Patreon.com slash Selby is Godcast. Bye, everybody. Bye.